Amen. Yes, sir. Uh, I remember when I was in Bible college, Brother Tim and I used to ride to work together, and uh, the he don't look a bit different. Amen. <laughs> he was old back then too. Amen. <laughs> I will say he was a little bit thinner, but Willie got under the rug. Amen. Unfortunately, I was a little thinner back then too. Amen. But so good to be here tonight. Are you glad to be in church tonight? Yes, what a joy to be here. I'm excited not only to be here, I'm excited what happened just a little bit ago. My daughter tonight, my middle daughter, or my middle, uh, the, or my middle son went to heaven uh, in January. I might say a little bit about that tonight. So I've got two youngins left, of course, in this world. My oldest son, John, he's a preacher. I was able to be in a meeting last Monday and Tuesday with him. That was a great blessing. And uh, my youngest child, my daughter, uh, married a young man by the name of James Hogue, a graduate of our college there in Michigan. And James is uh, the U.S. Congressman, the first district of Michigan's uh, communications director. And uh, the uh, President Trump the, uh, went to Traverse City, Michigan tonight, and my son-in-law put that entire thing together and uh, there's over 20,000 people there tonight. And uh, my daughter Ashley got to sing the national anthem before President Trump tonight. I was talking to my four-year-old grandson today on the phone, and I said, Mama's famous. She's going to sing for the president tonight. And uh, a few months ago, he got to be in a commercial uh, with Congressman Bergman, and he goes, yeah, Papa, she's famous like me. Amen. <laughs> The preacher asked me if I enjoy coming north, and uh, the uh, it, it's uh, I hate to say this, it was in the 80s last week uh, in North Carolina. Uh, my grandson Harrison looked out the window. It was snowing a couple days ago, and he looked at his mom and he said, "Oh no." He said, "We need to move from this state, amen." And so I don't know if Grandpa's messing with him or not, but I do tell him all the time. I pray to move to North Carolina. Amen. Amen. Well, grab your Bible tonight. Let's jump right into the message. The uh, first Tim or Second Timothy, rather, tonight, chapter four. Stand with me, if you will. As soon as you find Second Timothy tonight, chapter number four. It's a great joy to be with Brother Gray. Always look forward to being with him. I always get my cup full when I'm in a meeting with Doctor Gray, and I'm looking forward to hearing him preach tonight. And of course, tomorrow, and uh, the uh, of course, we all know, and I'm not going to preach about it tonight, but we all know what's going on tomorrow in America. Yeah. And uh, without being uh, the uh, too political tonight, I sure hope you've been praying. Yes. yes sir. And uh, of course, in North Carolina, we were able to vote early, and I don't know if you were here. Yes, but sir. I think about 90% of my church has voted already, and of course, uh, let's be so much in prayer. We're our great country tonight. I mean, we are, in my entire lifetime, I'm 58 years of age, uh, there's never been a more bizarre contrast of candidates than we're facing tonight. A great patriotic uh, president, and uh, the other side is a literally promising us. Uh, you'd never get elected. Can you imagine 20, 30 years ago, a presidential candidate guaranteeing he's going to raise taxes? Uh, the uh, he'd have gotten he'd have gotten run out of town as soon as he said that, right. and uh, the because of all the forces of darkness tonight at work, uh, uh, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that he could be our president on Wednesday morning. And I'm sure hoping and praying that is not the case. Amen. Yeah. And I know you feel like I do tonight. If you don't, I hope you'll get saved during this meeting. Amen. <laughs> I was telling the preacher I was 
get some corn from a deer stand the other day, and uh, the uh, we can bait deer where we live. And uh, the uh, I was getting some corn from an old farmer, and uh, his Pentecostal fella, a real sweet fella. And somehow in a conversation, we mentioned the word Democrat. And when I said that, uh, he got real sober and looked at me, and he said, "Preacher, I don't mean to rebuke you." But he said, I'd appreciate you not using that word on my property. Amen? And, uh, I apologize. Amen? I, I wasn't bragging on him. I just used the word. Amen? And uh, the uh, y'all understand uh, that I'm not kidding. Amen? That's serious. But uh, uh, I want you to look tonight at a very, very familiar passage of Scripture. I'm going to jump right into the thought tonight. Look at verse number 5. These might be the most famous verses in this great book of the Bible, 2 Timothy, certainly they are some of the greatest words ever spoken by the Apostle Paul. They're actually uh, his final Holy Spirit-inspired words that would ever be uttered in our Bible. And you know this, a man's last words are usually very significant. Notice what he says in verse number 5. But watch thou in all things, Endure afflictions. Don't forget that phrase tonight. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. For I am not ready, Paul said, to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. For I am now ready. Don't forget that tonight. I hope you're ready tonight. That's right. You and I don't know not only when this life is going to be over, we don't know when the Lord's coming back. And I'll tell you, if there was ever a day, the reason the Bible says, behold, now is the accepted time, because whatever you're going to do, you better be getting busy doing it for God. Uh, the, uh, The only time to put off anything, listen, my friend, is when you have an unlimited amount of time. And since none of us have unlimited amount of time tonight, whatever we're doing, we better do it now. Paul said, I'm now ready to be offered the time of my departure. is at hand. Look at verse 7 and 8 tonight. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, he says, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day. Aren't you glad for the remaining words in this verse? He said, And not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. Thank you for standing. You can be seated tonight. Of course, these are famous, famous verses in the Bible. I don't need to belabor the point tonight, but I think you would have to agree with me tonight. We are living in crazy times in our world. Who could have imagined that 2020 would be this bizarre? And uh, of course, all of us have had our own experience and our own uh, the uh, thoughts about the coronavirus. But to everywhere you look tonight, it seems like this world's coming unglued at the hinges. I said this uh, in the beginning to the same brother Tim. I don't think things are falling apart. I think things are falling into place of what I believe tonight. I believe one of these days soon, Jesus is coming again. This very chapter is preceded by chapter 3. And Paul starts that great chapter with these words that we need to know also that in the last days, perilous times... Paul said would come. Yes, sir. I believe tonight we're living in the last days of the church age. 
Let me just begin tonight by way of introduction by making this statement. Those individuals, hear me tonight, those people who experience God's very best uh, for themselves, for their families, for their ministries are people who have the ability to rise above what life, what the enemy, what circumstances in general throw at them. I'm not trying to be unkind tonight, but this is not an hour for the fainted heart. This is not an hour for the weak need. Listen, when life, my friend, throws its most difficult, its darkest, and its most discouraging times at you, that, my friend, is when you find out, that's when you discover what you really believe. Anybody can brag. Anybody can be cocky. Anybody can make a declaration. But it's when the tough times come. It's when the rain comes. It's when the storm clouds come. It's when you're in the valley. That's when you find out what you really believe. They asked President Lincoln one time about a particular cabinet member he had that uh, folks thought was uh, uh, not a good fit for the president and they thought they ought to fire, he ought to fire him. And Lincoln, as he often did, uh, answered their criticism with a little antidote. He said, you know, boys, uh, he said, I've learned when you're crossing a river, it's good not to change horses. Right. And the truth be known tonight, we're crossing a river. And you know what? We can argue to the eternity comes and eternity goes uh, about what right, what's wrong, but what I do if I was you tonight, I'd lock in, I'd get settled tonight, I'd figure out what I'd believe, and I'd stick with it until the trumpet sounds. It's not time to jump shit. It's not time to run away. It's time tonight to strap in. It's time tonight to put on your seatbelt and decide I'm going to be an old time Christian in this dark hour. I'm trying to just be quick tonight, Brother Gray, and get out of your way. Paul says three great things in our text tonight. He said, I fought a good fight. That's good. He didn't say it was peaceful, Brother Tim. He just said, I did it. He said, I, I have finished my course. He didn't say it was painless. He just said he did it. He said, I kept the faith. He didn't say it was popular. He just said he did it. You know, I'm just going to be blunt tonight. Coronavirus is fleshing people out. I'm not being ugly. I know there's been some legitimate things to be afraid of. Uh, maybe you know someone who's lost their life. I'm not making light of that at all tonight. But I thought we were people of faith. I thought we believed that our lives were in God's hand. I thought we believed that all things work together for good. And I know I'm going to make a few enemies here tonight. But how come so many are operating in fear tonight instead of faith? Barna did a survey a few months ago. And here's what they said, Brother Gray. You may have heard this. They said that 30% of Christians will never come back to church. What? What? Well, we're moving our membership. I'll tell you what I'd do during coronavirus. I wouldn't do nothing. I wouldn't change course in an unseasoned time. And listen, when things are not stable, that's not time to make foolish decisions. Can I just say it tonight? Living for God is not for the faint of heart. That's right. I, th- I just got to say this tonight, preacher. Paul did not say I almost lost my faith. 
I'm so weary tonight hearing people talk about, well, I just don't know if I agree anymore. I just don't know if that was ever my conviction. Why don't you just submit tonight? You lost your nerve. You got scared. Hey, listen. Paul said, I kept the faith. Paul was just telling us tonight, folks, he was a fighter. He had some fight in him. Can I ask tonight, is there anybody here tonight that still got some fight in you? Yes, sir. See, Paul's teaching us in this great story tonight, and I could go deep, I'm going to try to hurry tonight. Paul's teaching us that you have to listen, my friend. You have to work. You have to labor. You have to struggle. He listened, my friend. If you want to be an overcomer, he don't get some sprinkle dust on you. you got to make your mind up. you got to get settled in your soul. Jesus told us, you know the great promise. He said, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. He said, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I'm asking tonight, where are the overcomers in this room tonight? Paul had to fight with his fears. He had to fight with his apprehensions. He had to fight with his adversaries. He had to fight with anxiety. He had to fight with doubt. He had to fight with difficulty. He had to fight the critics. He had to fight setbacks. He had to fight losses. He had to fight, listen my friend, backbiters and betrayers. He even had to fight with himself. Paul's much like Moses in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, verse 27. It says this, that Moses forsook, listen, by faith he forsook Egypt, Mm -hmm. not fearing the wrath of the king. Listen next. For he endured. That's what he said tonight in our text. Verse number 5, endure afflictions. Let me just jump into the message tonight. Let me point out three quick things. Number one, I want you to see something. Don't miss this. What are the first two words of verse 7? Would you say when they out loud tonight, church? Uh, don't, don't read past them. What are they? I have. Skip the next four words and read the next two words. What are they? I have. If you skip the next three words, what are the next two words? I have. The first thing I want to remind you tonight is Paul said, I have. Paul said, I have. So what do you mean, Brother Jenkins? I'm not going to go deep here tonight. But the last verse we read tonight, Paul said there's a crown. I've titled my thought tonight, we got to bear down if we're going to win our crown. Yeah. Let me say that again. we got to bear down yes, sir. if we're going to win our crown. But yes, well, Tim, as best I can tell, there are five crowns mentioned in the New Testament that you and I can earn. I won't re-preach in any depth here tonight, but let me just mention them. The first crown he mentions in our text tonight is the crown of righteousness. That's what's called the looker's crown. Now it doesn't mean that we stand all day long and look up at the eastern sky and wait for the trumpet to sound. The idea is that we live every single day, every hour of every day, living like Jesus could come tomorrow. He could come today. We're not wasting time. We're not playing games. We're living with our eye on the eastern sky. The looker's crowd. Now, I'm not going to get ugly tonight, but there ain't a whole lot of people thinking about Jesus coming back. You know they're not. They're thinking about the ball game. They're thinking about their vacation. They're thinking about family coming over. 
Paul mentions the crown of righteousness. There's another crown Paul mentions. Don't go there for a time. 1 Thessalonians 2, he mentions the crown of rejoicing. Yes, sir. The crown of righteousness is the looker's crown. The crown of rejoicing is the soul winner's crown. You only get that crown by leading people to Jesus Christ. Paul actually says about that crown that those we've led to Christ, they are our joy. You want to get some joy in your life? Get over yourself. Get over yourself. You know, one of my great burdens, preacher, during coronavirus, is I didn't know that hell went out of business. That's right. Exactly. I understand my Bible right, Brother Gray. Hell's still enlarging itself. And yet there are whole swaths of Christians tonight that have absolutely gone out of business during this coronavirus. Petrifying. Well, when it's over, we're going to get back to it. What if it never is over? I mean, I'm not going to get political and uh, <coughs> conspiratorial tonight. Only God knows what this is really all about. Yeah. I'll just leave that alone tonight. There's a third crown. That crown's mentioned in James chapter 1. It's the crown of life. That crown is called the endurer's crown. That crown is won by those who just hang in there through thick and thin. It don't matter how dark the valley. doesn't matter how hot the, the fire. doesn't matter how long the burden. They just say, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to hang in there. I'm going to stay true. They get that crown by enduring. Amen. 1 Corinthians 9 mentions the fourth crown. That's the incorruptible crown. That's an interesting crown. That's called the laborer's crown. Now, I'm not even going to deal with the fifth crown because that crown in 1 Peter 5 uh, can only be worn by preachers. That's the shepherd's crown. So for a non-preacher, there's four crowns. The laborer's crown, the looker's crown, the soul winner's crown, and the endurer's crown. Now, I don't want to get on a rabbit trail. I'll be there too long if I do tonight. But let me suffice it to say, I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. There's a lot of debate today about whether or not it's a mid-trib or a post-trib. I believe it's a pre-trib rapture. I could argue with you tonight. I could show you a bunch of verses. And you could try to show me something and it'll do you no good. I made up my mind. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to be surprised or I'm going to be surprised. (laughs) One way or another, we're getting out of here. But here's one of the reasons I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. You can't fit eschatology together if you don't have a pre-tribulation rapture. The first three and a half years of the tribulation are going to be bad, bad news. You think things are bad now, buddy, I'm telling you, we are not in the tribulation right now to some of you who think we are. We're not in it yet, buddy. Because it's going to be way worse than what's going on in our world tonight. And that's only the first three and a half. The last three and a half are called the time of Jacob's trouble. And whatever horrendous and the absolutely horrifying the first three and a half years are, the last three and a half is going to be times ten. 
Now, let me just say this tonight. Everybody says, I've been hearing it all my life, Brother Gray. I can't wait for the Lord to come back. Oh, I wish the Lord would come back. And I know why we say that. Because we're looking forward to the day that all our sorrows are over. All our troubles are over. I've got a son in heaven now. Buddy, I can't wait for the Lord to come back in that regards. But can I tell you the truth tonight, preacher? I'm not so sure we ought to be that excited about the Lord coming back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now certainly we are because we can't wait to see our Redeemer. That's right. But you do know that yeah. as soon as He shows up on the eastern sky, mm-hmm. that reckoning day is coming. I believe the vast majority of the seven years that the tribulation is happening on this earth, a judgment is going to be taking place in the glory world. The Bible calls it the beam of judgment or the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that every redeemed saint of God is going to stand before the judgment seat. And we are going to give an account. Thank God not for our sin. That's under the blood. Hallelujah. But we are going to give an account, the Bible says, for what we've done with our life. I'm not even going to go there tonight. But whatever we've done with our life, according to 1 Corinthians, the judgment seat of Jesus Christ is going to involve fire. And our life's work is going to be put into that furnace. If it is wood, hay, or stone. In other words, that which is only temporal in value. Things like cars and jobs and vacations and hobbies. Poof. Gonna go up and smoke. Not wrong to have a good job. Not wrong to drive a nice car. Not wrong to have a hobby or two. Just wrong to live for those things. Because they won't last through the judgment. But if we've invested our life in things that are eternal, things that are likened unto silver and gold and precious stones, when they go through the fire, their value will actually be increased. Yes, sir. It's good. And whatever is left over after the fire will be the basis of your and my eternal reward. And it's an amazing thing, preacher. I still can't believe that oh hell but deserving sinners like you and I are going to get out of something this glorious. If any of our life passes through that judgment and is still intact, we are actually going to be rewarded with a crown. Now, before you get too proud of yourself, that crown ain't for you. Because at the end of the judgment, it's going to be a wedding. And going to be a wedding reception slash marriage supper. And you and I are going to bring those crowns. And we are going to put them at the feet of our heavenly bride as our wedding gift. So let me ask you tonight, what are you going to give Jesus at the marriage supper of the Lamb? Now, I didn't deal with this tonight because I was trying to be nice, but I think I will right now. There actually is another crown mentioned in the New Testament. But this one's not made of gold or silver or stones. 
right. It was made of thorns. Yes. <clears throat> I would hate to think, Pastor Manny, that the only crown I ever gave to Jesus was made out of thorns. I have a suspicion that a lot of people at the judgment seat of Christ, all they're going to give to Jesus is a remorseful glance when they say, I'm empty handed, Jesus. The only crown you ever got representing my life was crown for you may not think it's this serious, but I hope you do after we leave here in a few minutes. The remainder of my days and your days need to be spent thinking about our crowns. I don't want to lose my reward. I want to let... People have asked me, preacher, it's not been an easy year. People have asked me by the thousands, Brother Jenkins, how are you all? I'd like to if I told you I'd get through hardly a day without shedding a tear. It's been 10 months almost now since Brandon went to heaven. I cried several times a day thinking about my boy. But what's changed now, he's there. He's in that great cloud of witnesses. Brother Gray, if I understand my Bible correctly, I think those in that great cloud of witness can watch us run our race. Yes, sir. The tears won't be wiped away to the to the great white throne judgment. I'm wondering for the last ten months if instead of cheering, Brian's up there saying, "Dad, I had no idea you were such a loser. <laughs> I thought you were a better man than that." I wonder what your loved ones in heaven have been doing for years as they watch you stumble and fall constantly. <laughs> Amen. It puts some fire in my soul, buddy. Yes. I want my boy to say to Jesus, that's my daddy, that's my daddy right there. Mm-hmm. Not to hang his head and say, not again. There he goes off track again. Hey, listen, folks. I'm not trying to be mean tonight. Games are over. Games are over. We better bear down if we hope to win our crown. Can I just beg someone tonight? I can't make it happen, but can I beg someone tonight to stop complaining, to stop comparing, and stop convincing yourself you deserve better? Can I ask you tonight? Tough enough. Quit acting like everybody owes you something. And say, you know what? I'm going to quit having pity parties. I'm going to get serious. I'm going to get serious. Hey, listen, my friend. This thing's going to be over before we know it. We need some I-havers tonight. Listen, my friend, Paul, no doubt, lost a lot of things, lost a lot of friends, lost a lot of time, lost a lot of money, but he still said, I have, I have, I have. Hey, I want to say I have when I see the Lord. Anybody can quit. Some of y'all just need to kick yourself in the behind. Say enough playing games. You know what Paul said? I don't know if there's a verse that thrills me like this one. Paul said in Philippians 3, 7, you know it. He said, what things were gained to me? Those I counted loss for Christ. Listen to what he said next. Yea, doubtless, 
and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Are you all listening? Paul said, I just knowing him was worth it all. He wasn't talking about crowns right there. He wasn't talking about the rewards. He just said, hey, I look at everything I lost for Christ and I lose it all again. He said, just to know it. I got to know Him. He said, not rewarded by it, not saved by it. Just to know it. He said, just knowing it makes it all worth it. Best thing that ever happened to you is Jesus. He's way better than you and I act like He is. He's been so good to us. I said He's been so good to us. We're not blessed. We're spoiled rotten. Blessed doesn't even describe it. It's better than that. Paul said, are y'all listening tonight? He said, I may be broke. I'm going to keep on believing. Hey, I may have been deserted, but I'm going to keep on believing. I may be lonely, but I'm going to keep on believing. He said, I have, I have, I have. Somebody not. Please get some I have in your soul tonight. Can I beg you right now? If you lose your job, keep the faith. If your spouse walks out on you, keep the faith. If you have to file bankruptcy, keep the faith. If your kid goes prodigal, keep the faith. If the doctor says it's terminal, keep the faith. If your friends forsake you, keep the faith. If you have to downsize, if you have to hitchhike, keep the faith. Anybody can quit. Brother Roloff said this. He said, never undo in doubt. What you did in faith. Aren't you just sick to the deepest part of your soul? How many people are backing up? How many people are throwing in the towel? How many people are getting off course and trying to spiritualize it? Paul said, I have. Let me say secondly, he said, I have finished my course. I don't need to preach this in very long. But I want to emphasize, he didn't say your course. Right. Right. He didn't say my course. He said his course. Right. You know we're not in competition. Y'all know that. Right. Can y'all take a little preaching? Or I made you mad already. Come on. We are living in a society tonight that has become so okay. With people quitting. Yep. Well, people cutting corners. People taking the. Brother Gray, aren't you sick and tired of young boys coming to Bible college telling everybody what they're going to do for Jesus? And about a semester in, of the, they got to go home to Bob. Yes, sir. Or they take a four year degree and squeeze it into two. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that got quiet. <laughs> Let me give you a quick story. My sophomore year in Bible college, it was a Friday night. I worked from four to midnight in a printing company at a newspaper plant, a, what's called a web printing, uh, the uh, uh, jobber's warehouse it would be called. We printed a bunch of different newspapers and inserts of newspapers. 
was in the printer's press and my boss came to me about 11 o'clock and he said, John, would you like, he said, uh, the apprentice pressman on third shift called in sick and we need someone to work another shift. Would you like to make some overtime? I was a Bible college student. I was working 40 hours a week on class full time. But I needed every dollar I could get my hands on. So I said, I'll do it. I'll do it. So I went to class all day. I got off work at midnight on Thursday night. Didn't get back to the dorms till 1 o'clock in the morning. Got to bed about 1.30. Got up at 7 o'clock. Had my devotions, went to class, was in class all day, then went to work from four to midnight, and now I'm going to work from midnight till eight in the morning. Needless to say, preacher, I was nearly in a coma. <laughs> By eight o'clock in the morning, but got in my car, drove, drove to the college campus, took a shower, put on a suit, and went to bus meeting. And then spent all day Saturday in Chicago working my bus route. I hadn't slept for the ten. Last time I slept was Thursday night. Pulled onto the Dan or actually the Kennedy Expressway in North Chicago at about 9 o'clock at night. My bus driver, dear friend of mine, one of my bus workers, was driving my car. I told him, I, I, I'll kill us all, man, if I'm driving. I said, you got to drive. He said, I'll drive. He said, literally, before we got on the interstate, pulling up the exit ramp, he said, I was already snoring. I was laying against the door of the passenger side of the car, sound asleep for almost an hour on the, on the road. There was a guy in the back seat. My buddy Bob was driving. At about 10, 10, 15, he fell asleep at the wheel. <clears throat> and you know how it happened when he went off the edge of the road, the gravel from the edge of the road hitting the underside of the wheel wells woke him up. He was coming in an intersection. It was a three-way intersection west of Dyer, Indiana, when the road splits off of Chicago Heights, Illinois. There was actually an island in that intersection, and there was a traffic pole like this, and a you know a solid pole, not a, a hanging, but a, a, a sort of a, a pole type of a traffic light there, and that was in that island, and he was headed right towards that island. He slammed on the brakes. When he did, I was laying against that door in that window there and when he slammed on the brakes he threw me into the windshield this I have lost some hair over the years but that's not actually hair loss that's a scar right there if you look close you'll see the you'll see the scar there it looked like a like a window shattered that's what my whole forehead looked like it was the pattern of the glass broken had over 80 stitches in my forehead he actually by slamming on the brakes brother man he saved my life because what happened in the next couple of seconds, he hit that island, that curve on that island, went right up over that island. Because he had, had the natural thought to turn like this and hit the brakes, he threw me away from the window and away from the door. Just clipping that pole that was holding that light up in that intersection. They said if he'd have been seven, eight inches to the this way, we'd have hit it head on and probably everyone has been killed. But he hit it just at a right angle that it was like a sheer knife and it cut the entire side of the car off. Front quarter panel, door, rear quarter panel. I mean, literally, cut right off the side of the car. They said if I'd have been laying there, it would have probably decapitated me. But by throwing me into the windshield, he probably saved my life. I mean, the car was destroyed. The guy in the back seat couldn't move. He had to end up having a broken back. 
But he actually helped me get out of the car. He was in shock. He was bleeding all over too. He actually walked me to the ditch on the edge of the road and apparently asked me if I was okay because he wanted to go back to get the other guy out of the car because he could smell gas everywhere and he thought it was going to blow up. When the ambulance people got there, they thought I'd been thrown from the car, but someone had actually pulled up about that time and had watched him walk away from me. And they said, as soon as he turned to walk away, I collapsed in the ditch. I don't remember any of it. They rushed me to Dyer Mercy Hospital. I would spend two and a half weeks in the Dyer Mercy Hospital. It was November of 1981. It's a long story. I won't tell it all tonight. My jaw was broken in several places. My shoulder broken in several places. I was all tore up. Would spend two and a half weeks in the Dyer Mercy Hospital. All the days I was missing classes, my absences and my, my cuts were, were mounting up. After two and a half weeks of laying there, my parents had been down to see me. Oh, Brother Johnny Colson went to heaven last week. He come and see, saw me every single day I was in the hospital. What a good man he was. I was laying there on a Sunday afternoon. I'd been in the hospital now for just two weeks. It had been Saturday two weeks earlier. Brother Tim, I knew I was just about ready over absence everything. I was not going to be able to go back to work. I mean, my whole world come crashing in. My car was gone. It was my way of transportation. As I laid there in that hospital bed, I, I began, my, my mouth was wired shut. Had to have my mouth wired shut for eight weeks. Wow. How do you eat dining hall food in a bottle of calories? <laughs> With your mouth wired shut. Well, I found out how to. This tooth was broken off. And you could fit a straw in there. I know it's gross. But Hiles Anderson actually had a girl commission to take care of all my meals, and she literally made my food for the next two months. I like business and gravy, but when it's pre-ground, I'm just telling you, it's broke. I'm thinking about all of this. And you know what I decided, Brother Tim? I need to go home. I need to convalesce, I need to get better. And I'll come back maybe next year, next semester, and finish my Bible college. My dad's a preacher. This coming March, my dad will be 89 years old. Started passing his first church for the grave when he was 19 years old. This next year, he'll be a preacher of the gospel for 70 years. I called my dad on the phone, and my dream at that time was to one day work for my dad. And I explained to my dad, I, I, I drummed up my complete argument why it was the best thing for me to come home for a few months and I'd come back to college another semester. I explained it to my dad and he was real quiet on the phone. Now, they knew I was serious. They'd been down to visit me. They'd been there probably half the time I was in the hospital. They knew my life. I just had been spared a life or death situation. I was all tore up. But he just listened as I made my argument. And then you know he's a preacher. He gave me a three-point outline. <laughs> he said, John, let me tell you what I'm thinking here. He said, I'm afraid that if you come home, you might never go back. He said, there's so many young men that go to Bible college and quit for different reasons and come home and say they're going to go back and never go back. Yeah. Sure. He said, now, if you run out of absence and they kick you out, that's one thing. But I think you ought to stay till they kick you out. He said, son, if you quit and never finish, you won't be of any use to yourself. 
Then he said, you won't be of any use to God. Then he really hit me. He said, you won't be of any use to me. And he hung the phone up. He said, what? I'm in the hospital. I got a bandage wrapped around my head. My words, I got a brace on my shoulders. And my dad just said, I don't want to clear my house. And hung up on me. Man, that made me mad. I thought, who's he think he is telling me I am? I think for the next couple of years I didn't quit just because I wanted to prove him wrong. <laughs> you know, when I walked back on campus with a bandage still around my head and my jaw still weren't shut, I had used up every absence. I had used up every cut. I didn't have one extra one to spare. But I hadn't taken any before the accident. And I was able to get full credit for that semester. And that was very significant because when I graduated, a man came to our campus looking for an assistant pastor for a church in northern Michigan, and he needed somebody right then. And had I not finished that semester, I wouldn't have been ready to graduate then. And the 33 and a half years I spent in Gator would have probably never happened. Y'all okay or am I making you yeah. mad tonight? How many of you mamas? Would have run down yonder and got Junior. And would have ruined his life. Because we've just gotten so okay with quitting. We've gotten so okay with, well, that's okay. I'm just going to tell you tonight. So many moms and dads are more interested in being liked by their kids than they are respected by their kids. And what a tragedy tonight when you see how many moms and dads are here tonight the, uh, who have stopped living like they should live, being the kinds of moms and dads they ought to be because they want to be liked. Hey, listen, my friend, they've moved the landmarks. Their poor kids have no idea what's right on. Mom and dad have turned around. I don't know if this would go over or not. Apparently it ain't. Would you please stay? Would you please stick it out? Would you endure? Would you press on? Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't give out. One day you can say, I have finished my course. I'm done tonight. He also said, I kept the faith. I kept the faith. I don't know how else to say this tonight. So I'm just going to say it. Can anybody count on you? Past happy. I'm going to say that again. Can anybody count on you? Past happy. Brother Tim, we got to get over our happy hypnosis. Everybody's focus is I got a right to be happy. No, I'll tell you what right you and I got tonight. We got a right to be holy. We got a judgment day coming. And we're going to be thankful for all of eternity. 
if we didn't quit, if we endured hardness as a good soldier, Jesus Christ, in this short little thing called life, we'll reap it for all of eternity. You know, when I started preaching, Brother Manning, 1980, if someone walked into a pastor's office and said they were walking out on their spouse, it was always because of moral failure or some kind of horrible abuse. If someone left the church, it was always because of doctrinal heresy or uh, a drift in the wrong direction. You know why people are leaving their spouses now? You know why people leave churches today? Because I'm not happy. I'm not getting my needs met. I'm not getting fed. Hey, I know a cowboy preacher friend of mine by the name of Brother Jack Wood. He's in heaven now. Brother Jack was rough. He was preaching revival one night in the church, and there's a lady in that church that was all, I mean, she had a long tongue. She was always causing trouble. And when she walked by that night, she looked at Brother Jack and she said, Brother Jack, I'll have you know, I didn't get fed one bit. You'd have to know Brother Jack, that fired him up. Man. He said, listen, sis, I didn't come to feed you, I come to warm you. <laughs> you didn't need feeding, he said, you needed worms, what you needed later. <laughs> I'm not advocating we say that to people. <laughs> oh, God help us tonight. God help us tonight. I want to keep the faith. You know how Moses did it? I quoted the verse earlier, but I didn't finish the verse. That verse I said where he forsook Egypt. The Bible talks about his enduring. Do you know what the end of the verse says? The reason he endured is because he had his eyes on a God he could not see. See, if all I do is look at my own around my vicinity I'm in at this moment, I won't stay on course. I gotta have my eyes on tomorrow. I gotta have my eyes on forever. Right. See, your reality is always determined by your focus. Right. And when I'm focused on that which lasts forever, it has such an impact on my reality. I won't tell the whole story tonight, but I got a reason far beyond coronavirus to say 2020 not been a fun year. First Sunday in January this year is when my son's health crisis turned into a life and death struggle. My wife and I were actually scheduled to preach we were going to be there Sunday morning the first Sunday of 2020 in our church and then we were going to fly that afternoon to Michigan because my son was in a very serious condition in the hospital my daughter-in-law Brandon's wife Christina is evangelist Oliver Reese's oldest daughter she said to my son John she said on Saturday evening she said you better call mom and dad she said I don't think I better wait for tomorrow afternoon I immediately called my deacons and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take off sooner. And they all, of course, said, go, preacher, go. We changed our flight. We, instead of leaving Sunday afternoon, we left at 5.30 on Sunday morning. 
We landed in Detroit at about 8 o'clock in the morning. We were headed up 23. Brian was in a hospital between Flint and Detroit. And while we were en route, my son John called and said, Dad, where are you? And I told him we're on Highway 23 just south of Ann Arbor. And he said, well, stop where you are and turn east. Head to the Henry Ford Hospital in downtown Detroit. He said, Brandon's en route as we speak. They got him a room at the cardiovascular ICU unit at Henry Ford Hospital, the transplant unit. And it worked out. We were the first family members there when he got there. I'm so glad, Brother Gray, we went early. The, uh, that was really the last good conscious day that Brandon had in this world. That night they put him on an ECMO machine. If you know anything about that terminology, that's an external heart. He was on an impeller machine as well, which is a machine that goes along with that machine and he was on a ventilator. He was completely in a medically induced coma. He was on 100% life support. Any and everything humankind could do to keep someone alive, he was on it. They told us that night, even after the putting him on the ECMO machine was supposed to take about 30, 40 minutes, he was in surgery for three and a half hours just hooking up to it. All of his veins were constricted because of all the medicines and the, the heart uh, uh, crisis he was already in. And The ECMO machine hoses are nearly the size of a garden hose. But when he got put on an ECMO machine, from that day until the day he went to heaven, there was a nurse in his room 24 hours a day. See, the ECMO machine, if he were to jerk and pull those hoses out, every drop of blood in his body would be on the floor in about three seconds because of the size of the hoses. That ECMO machine just keeping him alive so his heart can hopefully regain some strength. They told us that night, preacher, that he had a 10% chance of making it through the night. We would be there for two and a half weeks, and it was a long story and a, just an unbelievably gut-wrenching two and a half weeks. Supernaturally, the last couple of days he was alive, they were able to take him off the echo machine, take him off the ventilator, and Brandon was able to talk with us and communicate with us. God gave us that as a gift. From the day he went in to cardiac ICU, a family member stayed with him every night. My son, John, stayed with his brother a number of the nights. Christina, his wife, stayed with him. Her father uh, stayed nearly, I think, every night. Christina stayed. Brother Aresa stayed with her. Her brother... Oliver Jr. stayed with him several nights. My son-in-law, James, stayed with him Sunday nights. Probably Brandon's best friend. Three of the nights in those two and a half weeks, I took the shift. I'll never forget, Brother Gray, as long as I live, I am so thanking God that I took the shift on January 14th. Brandon had been about seven or eight days at this point. No, I'm sorry. I think it was eight days for sure, maybe nine. But eight or nine days, he had been on the echo machine in complete inundation. And while I was on the shift that night, some nights you could sleep half the night, but there was a lot of activity going on in his room that night. It was one, two o'clock in the morning. Finally, I asked the nurse, I said, what's going on? And she said, well, we don't want to alarm you, preacher. But she said the... Um, 
neurology department came in today and they put some drops in Brandon's eyes. Something they do as part of the procedure when you're on full inundation. And she said, I don't want to alarm you, but she said one of his eyes is dilated like twice as much as the other eye. It could be from the drops. But she said that's also evidence that he's had a stroke. And she said with all the other crisis that he's in, he can't afford to have a stroke. And she said what they decided is they're going to wake Brandon up. They've got to talk to him. It's the only way they can tell if he's had a stroke or not. So I got to be there, Brother Gray. The night Brandon came out of that coma. It was pretty intense. They took him off all the drugs. They said he's going to be in extreme pain. He's got three tubes down his throat. They did not come out during this procedure. But they had to know if he was awake. They had to know if he was conscious to let them know what had happened. I remember when they finally were ready, the neurologist was on one side hollering at Brandon to get Brandon to look at him. And Brandon turned his head and looked towards him. I was on the other side and he said, Now preacher, you need to talk real loud. You've got to get Brandon to respond to you. So I'm, I'm hollering at him. Look at me. I said, Brandon, if you see me, if you know who I am, buddy, blink your eyes. And he went, man, I just burst into tears. He was still with us. It's a long story. Six days later, he'd go to heaven. Only 30 years of age, left behind a beautiful bride. But that night, after all that crazy ordeal, they put him back under. And at about 5 o'clock in the morning, I wrote this and posted it on my Twitter account. Here's what I wrote. I've had the awesome privilege of being the family member to stay with Brandon in his icy room through the night. Tonight is day 11. My observation from room P537. Here's what I wrote. Tell your children you love.